The following is a message from Pastor Kelly Hewitt and Live It, a ministry of St. Marcus. For more information or for message notes, go to www.liveitmke.org. Come and see. Come and see the first Christmas presents is where we're going tonight. I want you to think about a time that you experienced something that was unlike anything else. Something that was so life-altering that if you closed your eyes right now, you could still see it. Do you have that, whatever it was, image in your mind? For me, one of those come and see first things was snowfall. I grew up in Arizona. We went to Flagstaff, and we only went to Flagstaff two hours north after it had already all fallen because in Arizona you have to put snow chains on. We didn't have snow chains. So we'd go after it fell. So one of the first things for me was seeing that Christmas snow that they show on all the movies. Maybe you were up late last night or this morning and you saw those nice, huge snowflakes that just make you want to go outside and play. That's something you have to experience. I can't tell you what that's like. Growing up in Arizona, never having seen it, I it was just something I could experience. Another thing, sitting in the, middle of the in the middle of the Sea of Galilee on a boat, and the water was perfectly still, and it truly was smooth as glass. I never thought it was possible. I'd read it in the Bible that it says, oh, the, the water was as smooth as glass. I didn't think a, a body of water could ever be that smooth. No ripples. I ended up taking a picture of it because I couldn't believe it. And every time I show the picture, everybody's like, what am I looking at? Because it's just that perfect mirror of an image. There are things in life that are just things that you experience that you have to tell someone. You have to come and see this for yourself. For some of you, it's trying to explain a Koine Christmas or a Koine Easter event to a friend. Well, it's kind of like an IMAX theater, but not really. It's kind of like this, but not really. All you have is images that you think they might ex understand to try to use to explain to them. Now, put yourself in, in the guys we're going to talk about tonight. A bunch of guys from a foreign land who have no clue what they're looking for, in a land they don't know where they're going, but they're really, really excited about getting there. They need to come and see. They, they have this image. They, they know they have to go, but they don't understand why. And that's the point we're going tonight. We're going to this picture of you have to come and see. So if you open up your bulletins, I'm an interactive person. There are notes there for you to take notes on, to doodle on, whatever you want. Otherwise, you can open up your Bibles and make your, uh, take notes in your Bible. I tend to take a lot of notes in my Bible, so now I have sheets of paper to take notes on those because there's little margins left. So we're going to start in Matthew. We've been following Luke for the last couple of months, for the last six weeks or so. And now we're going to jump to Matthew because Luke doesn't cover the Magi. The only person who talks about the wise men coming to see Jesus is Matthew. So we're going to take a look from Matthew's account. Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born, King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. So we have a couple things to unpack. We saw, so we start with Bethlehem in Judea. First question of the night. Were 
the magi there when the shepherds were there? Raise your hand. Who's going to answer tonight? Who wants to answer it? No. You get a $10 Starbucks card. No miracle. You don't get to take it. It's her card. She answered. Got to watch out for these people. No. We have this picture. We always have all these manger scenes that show the wise men there. This is sometime after the 40 days of cleansing. For some reason, Mary and Joseph were still in Bethlehem. You can go through all the speculation. We can go through all the different historical reasons why. But I'm going to probably give you the simplest answer. Joseph was a working class guy. So, guess what? He's working on Herod's project up near Nazareth called Tiberius, his playboy city, his, basically his version of Las Vegas, which is what Tiberius was on the sea, a couple miles outside of Nazareth. You live in Nazareth, you commute in, that's the workman's town. You go down to Jerusalem, and guess what? Herod is an insane guy who likes to do lots of building projects. If I'm a craftsman and I have to travel an exorbitant distance, 80 miles plus, to go for a stupid census, guess what? I'm going to hang out and do some work there. Simplest explanation. He's probably hanging out because there's a job there. There could be a lot of other reasons. I'm not going to argue them with you. But Herod was doing a lot of building projects in and around Jerusalem. And it would have been very likely that Joseph and Mary could have stayed there for a period of time while they were there for the census. And he could have found meaningful employment while there. So they find a house. And we're going to find that out at the end. So you have this sometime after. And all of a sudden, it's in the time of King Herod. Now, King Herod is a disturbed fellow. So you can underline, circle his name, whatever you want, and write crazy. He is a crazy man, but he is also ridiculously genius. So he built so many structures that today are still standing, even though wars have gone through, nations have bombed them, his roads still stand. His buildings still stand. If you see the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, if you see pictures of that, He's the reason it's still standing. His way of picking engineers was, you're doing a good job? Great. You stink, I kill you, your job next. That was his way of dealing with engineers. I want enough water to fill seven Olympic-sized swimming pools on top of a mesa in the middle of the Dead Sea. And I want that fresh water brought in every month so that it doesn't get stagnant. Your job is to figure out how. Don't tell me no. If you tell me no, you will die. That's how Masada was built. He was crazy, but he was also a genius, and he built a lot of structures that are still there today. So you have this guy, King Herod, and then you have the Magi. Who are the Magi? These are a class of people. Just like you have the advisors, you have councilmen, this is a class of people from, in biblical terms. These are your astrologers, your astronomers, you are your king's best advisors, outside military personnel. They're either religious or watching for omens in the stars. These guys are brilliant. If you go to Daniel, Daniel was an Old Testament guy, and you read about Daniel, he goes off to Babylon. He's put in charge of all of the magi in Babylon, which is why many people think that these magi came from Babylon, because the scrolls from Jerusalem would have been carried off to Babylon, and that would be how these people would know about it. But you have these guys who are the wise men, And they came to Jerusalem, and they asked this question. So if you're going to go to a country, and you're going to try to find someone. Now today, we first Google them, then we Facebook stalk them, 
And then once we Facebook stalked them, then we might see if they're still on Foursquare and they've checked in anywhere, and that way we'll know exactly where to find them. Back then, they didn't know. So what did they do? They came from the furthest away place, and they went to the central city. This would be the equivalent of me saying, hey, I want to go find a friend of mine who's in China. I'll go to Beijing. China's a really big country. There's millions of people there. And they're just assuming, because this prophecy is so bold, that everybody in the entire area knows, and we'll go to the seat of government to find out. That's why they did this. So they go to Jerusalem to ask the question. So they ask the question, where's the one born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Behold, Magi come to see and to worship him. Come to see and to worship the Christ. They have no clue what they're looking for. There's an obscure reference in Numbers chapter 24 to the fact that a star will come out of Jacob, a scepter will rise out of Israel. That is the only reference to a special star that I could find reference to in the, Old Te- in the Old Testament that would refer to what these magi have seen. They knew as astrologers, as people or astronomers, that uh, guys who watched the stars, they knew that this star was special. God sent a special star, something that was going to mark things out for them. And they followed it. They didn't know what they were going for. Imagine setting out on a thousand-mile journey not knowing where you're going or who you're looking for. You just know that this is a very important person who's now to become the next ruler. That's what they came to do. They came to worship the next ruler. They came knowing that this was going to be a special person. Go ahead and go to the next one. So when King Herod heard, he was disturbed. Not only was he crazy, but then he got a little more disturbed because King Herod also had an ego complex. He didn't like people threatening his throne. Anybody who might have threatened his throne, he killed, including his wife and his family members. He killed them all because he was afraid of mutiny. And so King Herod finds out from these smart dudes who come from a long way away, huh, there's a new king in town? I didn't know about this. So he gets really upset. And all Jerusalem with him. So if your king is a tyrant and he gets upset, guess what's going to happen to all the people in the land? They're going to be upset as well because the king's upset. That makes sense. So then he called together all the chief chief people's chief priests and teachers of the law and asked them where the Christ was to be born. So here's the scene. These wise guys show up in Jerusalem. Now, if you're going to follow ancient tradition, if these truly are the king's advisors to a foreign power, these guys would not have been traveling lightly. They would have been traveling with quite a caravan. They possibly would have also had military guard. Military guard shows up in, er- in Jerusalem and they ask the question. The King Herod says, hey, there's a bunch of foreign diplomats on my doorstep. Oh, by the way, they're from the country who used to conquer us. This is a questionable co- concern for him. So when they ask him, where's the king of the Jews? you can really begin to see why Herod's a little more paranoid than normal. And so what, what happens next? So the chief priests get it. The chief priests understand, oh, we know what these guys are looking for. They have to go looking for it, though. Here's one of the saddest things in the entirety of the scriptures. These are the, these are the rulers. These are the theologians. These are the pastors. They have to go looking. They go, they say, in Bethlehem, in Judea, for this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. That's from Micah chapter 5. So they finally figure it out, and here's where you get the saddest thing. 
We're going to do these a little bit out of order, but that's fine. You can just fill them in. Don't miss his arrival. And they had no room for the Messiah. I keep looking here because I have a, a, a cheat screen, and it has all the words mixed up. My cheat screen's wrong. And so when you take a look at what they have to say, the, the chief priests come back and they say, we have to go look for this. And then they finally give him the answer. And what you begin to realize, Herod, who's the king of the Jews, who claims to be a great Jew, who spent millions of dollars to restore the temple to its full and greater glory than Solomon had ever had it, this guy who claims to be a great religious guy, all of his chief people around him were supposed to be the smartest people, the most religious people, the greatest teachers. Not one of them had room for the Messiah. They had no room in, the Messiah, in their hearts for the Messiah because their religion was all about them. It was all about, see how we worship. See how we've done. See what we've given. And they missed him. The Messiah was born two miles away. The shepherds had seen the angels. They had then gone running through the streets of Bethlehem proclaiming to everyone that Jesus had been born. In Jerusalem, Simeon had that great song about how this is the Messiah, this is the one we've been waiting for. And then Anna runs around basically this city, a space the size of this city block with Jesus. So imagine someone picking up Jackson this, after, this evening and running around the city block saying, here's the Messiah. That's what Elizabeth did. So we talked about last week. There's no way unless you were purposefully blinded, unless you purposefully were denying, unless you had no room in your heart for him, that you could miss it. And Herod missed it. All of these things had happened in his backyard. And he had no room in his heart for Christ. He had no room in his heart for a Savior. He had no room in his heart for the baby. I ask you, how many of you had time over Christmas to spend quietly, personally pondering the birth of your Savior? How many of you took time to personally thank him for giving up the glories of heaven to come and to walk this sinful earth to be absolutely perfect for you? To realize that Christmas, as we celebrate his birth, is him giving up all of his glory because he has to walk and endure everything just as we endure it so that when he dies, he dies just as we die so that his payment is perfect for us. Did you miss Christmas? In all of the presents that were brought, did you miss the greatest present, the present that your Savior came? Were you so busy with the family and the functions and figuring out whose schedules were where, trying to get all over the state of Wisconsin and Illinois and Minnesota and wherever else you were going that you missed pausing to see your Savior? Because that's what happened to Herod. And it didn't start off for Herod as this point of saying, I don't want to believe. It began with this power control. It began with, oh, I don't need to do it. And it started with little steps. And before you know it, nobody knew. And they were all wondering, who is this guy? What are they talking about? If you're one who's missed it, tonight's a night where I'm going to encourage you to pause for a few moments and say, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry. Sorry I missed it. Create space in my heart. Help me figure out how to, how to move my calendar around in 2015 to be able to spend some more time with you so that 
I don't miss your son in my life the way Herod missed it. Keep going. What's worse is not only did he miss it, he then lied about it. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out from them the exact time the star had appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make a careful search for the child. As as soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. He has this great outward, I want to worship him. Oh, I want to go to church. That's great. I, I, I know I need that. That's good for me. That's the attitude. You see, don't come and see isn't about fake worship. It isn't about a fake heart that says, oh, I will give in to the appearance that everything's right. It's about actually having your heart changed by that little child born in Bethlehem. Your heart changed to the fact that says, I know I'm a broken sinner, and I know that it's only through him that I have the ability to have a meaningful life. That, yeah, I can have a great life without him, but ultimate meaning when I die is empty without him in charge of my life, without him showing me what is the true meaning and joy in my life. So you have this, this picture that's laid out for us with this picture of the Magi who come. And they come and they bring him. And so, so you have Herod who, who's faking worship. And then you get to see this next picture. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. One thing that NIV does as a disservice here, and I want you to add it in. I don't talk badly about Bible translations often because they do a much better job than I could do. But it's easy from the armchair to say there's a few places to make make some changes that they should have made. Right Right at the end of that last line, when they saw the star, behold the star. Matthew uses the word behold throughout his entire um, book 16 times. And every time he uses the word behold, there is a massive point he is about to make. The first one was right at the beginning of this lesson when he said, behold the magi. The second one is here when it says, and behold, they saw the star. And they were overjoyed. The wise men who had traveled for thousands of miles, probably been on the road for be somewhere between three and six months, were now standing outside of the door of his house. And there was just sheer joy at knowing the fact that they've traveled so far and that on the other side of that door, they were going to be able to meet their Savior. Meet the guy who is going to come, who is God made flesh for us. If they're smart enough to have found that obscure little passage in Numbers about that star, they knew who he was. They knew why he had come, and they were overjoyed. That's that's the true meaning of when you've come in contact with Jesus. What is your heart? It should not be a heart that's weighed down. When you come in contact with Jesus, your heart is overjoyed at who he is and what he has done for you. And here's where they end us. And on coming to the house, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, and of incense, and of myrrh. So how many, now you guys see him. How many wise men were there? Who's going to raise their hand first? All right, Miracle raised her hand. How many stars were, how many magi were there? We don't know. There you go. I want to bring this out because for so many of us, 
We Three Kings, that great song, has ruined the biblical narrative and given us this picture that there were three guys. If you went to Christmas, if you went to a Christmas party this Christmas, how many of you went to a Christmas party? How many at, at those Christmas parties where there were kids present? Were there more kids than adults, or more presents there than adults? Why don't you think about that? So, like, when I went to, for our Christmas, nieces and nephews got multiple gifts from us. The number of gifts did not represent the number of adults in the room. Right? Think about it. As you as a recipient of aunts and uncles, just because there's a certain number of gifts, now when you get older, that's, that's more the case. When you're a kid, they bring you lots of gifts. It's not normally one thing. It's lots of things. So, so often we've said, hey, there's only three because there's gifts of gold, incense, and a myrrh. And we get focused on there's three guys. We don't know how many there were. We know there were enough that it says, we have come. And we know they brought these gifts. And we know they came from a distance. And if you put those things together, you probably have a military entourage, which means you're not traveling with one or two people. Means you probably have more than three. However many it is isn't important, but what is really important is the final piece. What do they do? They come, they bow down, and they worship. Their bringing Christmas presents was a part of their worship. It doesn't talk about it apart from that. And it says, and they, and they opened their treasures and presented him with the gifts. That was a part of their act of worship. So often we talk about offering and we talk about giving gifts and, and supporting ministry or whatever else as something else. I want you to put it into the context of what takes place here. What is it that the Magi do? First, they hear the word. They study the word. They get to know the word so well that they are able to know it and know what they're looking for. Secondly, they travel to spend time to worship. And then they bring a gift. And then they head home. And they're overjoyed. My challenge for you is, how do you view your worship? Do you, ver- you worship as something that you come to do and then you go home? Or is it something that you're doing on your way here and you're doing on your way going? And that it's not a a one-time action, but it's a continual part of your life. And that it's something that brings you joy. If worship doesn't bring you joy, you need to examine your heart about going to worship or participating in personal worship. And if you want some help with that, talk to me. I'd love to help you out with that. It's something that I had to have some people help me with. I'm the guy who didn't want to be a pastor, who didn't like church. That's part of my story. That's part of my past. And so I had somebody tell me, you can complain and moan and leave like many, Or you can go do something about it and you can really analyze where your heart is at with your Savior and you can let me help you on that journey. And that's why when you look at the front of the bulletin, it says, live it, your life, his purpose. is because somebody came alongside me and somebody has come along, a lot of you, and said, I'm going to help you understand who you are worshiping and what it looks like to truly worship. And this is one of the places that person took me. When that person started with me to learn how to worship, they said, what happened here? All they did was they showed up, they bowed down, they praised him, they brought him a gift, and they went home. And it took them probably six months to a year to make that trek. Six months to a year to come into worship, to say thank you to the king for coming. 
My challenge for you is to figure out how in 2015, how is your worship? And may the Magi guide your worship. May the Christ child that the Magi came to worship be the center of all you do. Amen.